This is John Gescheitmeyer of Wisconsin Real Estate Today, your real estate expert. This podcast is designed to equipping people with the teaching and tools they need to succeed in real estate. I hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more real estate content. Hello, everybody. John Gescheidmeyer here. Welcome back to another, what what I promised would be a great episode. So uh, a lot of pressure on you, Michael. That's right. Um, but uh, let's dive right into our topic today. And that's a topic that I think a lot of people uh, have been talking about for months now, for the better part of the year. And there's, I think, a lot of very misconceptions as to what this market is, how it came about to where we are today. So we're going to dive into everything rates Michael, start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about you, your background, and your team. Perfect. So my name is Michael Creed, branch manager for Luminate Home Loans. Uh, we have the Brookfield and Waukesha locations, and I'm also involved with Luminate uh, at the corporate level as well. Uh, my day-to-day involves mortgage lending every single day. I run a team which is named after me, the Michael Creed team, which is three full-time people working on getting loans closed, plus a handful of other uh, support people in the branch that we share. Um, mortgage lending is what I do every single day. I've been doing it since 2004, and I love it. M- big part of my job also outside of originating and managing that Michael Creed team is also coaching three, sorry, four other loan officers in the branch who have their own teams as well. And so that's a big chunk of the day. You have about as much free time as I do, it sounds like. That's correct. So let's dive into what essentially has been um, just an absolutely crazy year you know, you join our sales meetings every other Tuesday. You are an integral part of what we do here at uh, Remax Service First. But I think the the biggest thing is educating our agents so that they can educate their clients. The whole point of this podcast is education to talk about where rates are, where we think they're going to go, which of course is just a guess. Um, but also what people can do now to to make sure that when they are ready to purchase a home or they want to purchase another home, you know, they want to sell the one that they're in, uh, that they understand that it's still a really good time to buy or sell. That was what I just did a few days ago in the podcast that we released, episode 33, is it still a good time to buy or sell? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. and I think you would probably agree with that because we talk regularly. So let's go into where rates are today as, as maybe our benchmark for the rest of the podcast. Perfect. So just this morning, I ran some numbers for individuals. And one of the things that we need to understand about the market today that's different than what we've seen for basically the last 14, almost 15 years, is that it's commonplace today to start paying for buyers to pay points again. That went away when the federal government started subsidizing rates in late 2008, 2009 timeframe when it was quantitative easing. We've all heard that term a ton of times. Uh, where clients didn't need to pay points anymore. So when you look at the interest rate uh, variables right now, uh, the rates I ran this morning, the client at 7% was getting money back. So they're getting a credit to go towards their closing costs at 7%. But for a small fee, it was less than 1.5%. They can get down to the upper fives. So there's a substantial difference in the interest rate. Um, between going with what would be called a par rate in the mortgage industry and a lower than par rate um, or a, a, a points rate where they're paying points. Now, if we were to compare that to uh, even three, four years ago, one point typically would bring the rate down by a quarter. So one point is 1% upfront of the loan amount. Um, 
would bring the rate down by a quarter. Here, I just described that it's going to bring a little more than one point could bring it down by over 1%. So there's a lot more bang for the buck today. Now, of course, each scenario is different, right? This is going to be a loan that has a, um, it's a higher credit score qualifying client, low debt to income ratio client, uh, larger loan amount, a lot of these variables that would be in their favor to be able to get a rate, that rate lowered that much that fast. So one thing that's very important to understand through talking about interest rates is that there are over 17 different variables that determine one person's interest rate. And so it's very difficult to while our media, regularly mainstream media, does this every single day, uh, to benchmark or boil down to one interest rate what the market is at today, right? That, if there's, that always comes with a very large paragraph of fine print to show how they got to that number. But, but that's a good point because I think everybody, and I mean, and I know this is the question we get asked, where are rates today? And so when they ask that, they're really talking about the 30-year fixed Correct. Conventional rate. Yes. But there are so many different types, and we'll get into in a minute what you do when you qualify and, and pre-approve a client, uh, which we'll talk about the difference between those two. I think that's important to note as well. Yep. There's so much that goes into this, and there's so much that goes into um, understanding where rates even come from. So maybe talk a little bit about how is a rate determined? I mean, what's the main factor that goes into that? The rates today are determined by a lot of different factors. That's the big thing. There's not just one anymore. I mean, when I first got into the business in 04, you could predict what interest rates were going to be the next day or two almost perfectly every single time. Now, though, because of the internet and the number of data points that goes into determining that, it's almost impossible to know ahead of time what the rate's going to be the next day. We just don't know anymore. We can't predict it as well as we used to be able to. Um, you know, the 10-year treasury was a great indicator for a long time. It's not anymore. It just doesn't tell you. You can't track it. It's unreliable at best. Um, so what is going into it today is, an, is the investor appetite. You know, which investors are trying to get their books up with certain levels of clients. Some investors, um, particularly big banks in the U.S., names that we would all know, they love wealthy clients. So they're going to pay a premium, meaning that they're going to give a lower rate and pay us for that lower rate. Uh, for somebody who appears to have a lot of assets, has a great down payment, their equity position is good, their credit score is high, because they want to bring in the wealthy clients so that they can offer all sorts of other services as well outside of the mortgage space. It's a huge part of the business. So, so, that's, so Big Bank A brings in a client, not necessarily for their mortgage. They know if they can get them under their house, then they can private you know, services such as and I forget them, the ones, you know, the private equity banks or the mm -hmm. investments, all that stuff. Right. And in fact, many of those big banks know that their mortgage servicing or mortgage origination departments are really not that good. Uh, and they know that do, they have Do they know that, Michael? I think they do. And I think <laughs> that they'll let us originate the loan for them. I don't think they do them. sometimes. <laughs> they'll do it, I think. But I think that they are just as fine letting us originate the loan, paying us for it, and then ultimately taking that client over because the typically the ones that are not great at originating loans are great at servicing the loans. I, I would agree with that. And I'm not going to mention names. I, I don't think that would be professional, but as a listing agent, I do not want to see uh, quite a few big banks on a, on a pre-approval. And that's why when, when a buyer comes to me or, or our team, I, I prefer local. I prefer somebody like you who really dives into this. I mean, you know, you can think of the banks that used to do a ton of pre-approvals. They had um, neighborhood branch offices. They mm -hmm. had, you know, and, and they're not, they're gone. Right. They pulled them all out. 
it's all corporate. You're dealing with somebody online. And, and even a lot of our credit unions have done that too. I, I don't like the fact that you're a number in one of those processes. I, I want to be known as John in my process if my wife and I are going to need a mortgage. Right. And you guys provide that too. Those, those are some great points. I, I wanted to ask you about um, what, what really does happen when a new client comes your way. Regardless of how the introduction happens, you have a new client that, that you're introduced to. And, and you know, for us as realtors, we find somebody maybe at a cocktail party, uh, a referral comes to us, hey, John, you helped so-and-so buy a house. Now we're going to buy a house. Can you help us? One of the first questions we ask in our little, little litany of questions is, uh, are you pre-approved? Mm-hmm. And then we just refer them to you. And then you work your magic and wave your magic wand and all is good in the world. What happens when you, when you meet those people? Well, first of all, thank you for the introductions. We really appreciate that. That's a huge part of our business and how we've grown. The, what we do with that client is that we have some ways to make sure these people understand that, that we know that this is the largest transaction of their life and that we're going to treat it like that. Uh, So every time that a client comes to us, they get a very personal experience from the very beginning. They're given options as to how they want to proceed next. But ultimately, the goal is for everybody to be moved into an application because without that application, it's very difficult for us to provide them with the service that they deserve, the details that they need. In fact, it's really not the large. We're not treating it like the largest transaction of their life if we don't start with an application. So the application begins. That's the formal process. You can do that. Give out your website, too. You can do that right on your on your website. Yep, so right on our website, which is closewithmichael.com. Not lend or not apply. It's close. I like that, closewithmichael.com. And, I mean, up in, I believe if it's in the upper right-hand corner, they can just click apply, and that begins the process. Explain the difference between what you're doing and what some of these other maybe larger institutions are doing uh, as far as a pre-approval versus a pre-qualification? Yes. Yeah, so we have we offer both, but we educate the client on the, the difference, particularly when it's a seller's market, as to why they want to be in a position of pre-approval versus pre-qualification. So the easiest way to boil down the difference is that both have a credit pull associated with them, but the difference between a pre-approval and a pre-qualification is that a pre-approval will have verified income and assets in writing as well. So we verified whatever that means for a borrower. If it's W-2 wage earner, we've got the W-2s and pay stubs. If it's self-employed, we've got all their business returns in hand and we're verifying their income. Same thing with assets. We have asset statements in hand to verify that they do have the money available to make the down payment. In a pre-qualification state, we verify their credit. We take their word for their income and their employment and their assets. Sorry, income and assets. But, but a lot of that it. is probably their own input into the application, correct? Yes. We still talk to them about it, though, personally, just to make sure that we ask the right questions. Because one of the things that's very common is a buyer makes more money than they they say on the application that they make more money than what the lender can actually use to meet certain federal requirements. So, you know, they might lump in bonuses that they've only gotten for a short amount of time or overtime that happens once every so often. Those types of things that we have to back out. So we will talk to them to try to dial it in because at the end of the day, we we want a pre-qualification to be as solid as it can um, because our reputation is on the line too, right? So we're not going to just give them a letter based on no conversation. But a lot of lenders, like you're mentioning online and other lenders, that they, they'll give them a letter online before they even finish that process. Well, and, you know, as a former police officer myself, overtime is something that I always thought, well, you know, I, I make roughly the same amount every year in overtime. 
But you guys have to scrutinize that. You have to look at that as well and understand that that could change. It could go away tomorrow. Right. Exactly. You know, a salaried borrower, their income can change dramatically overnight in a salary, and we can use their salary because that's their salary. But if their overtime doesn't have a two-year history of receipt of, over, of overtime, we can't use it at all, typically. I mean, there are some caveats, of course. Every one of these rules has exceptions, but that's the general rule of thumb for that. So you have different loan types that you examine with people. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just conventional. It's not just FHA. It's not just adjustable rates, which are coming back, you know, mm-hmm. somewhat popularity now. You take them through an entire process because there are so many products available to you, and you're really trying to find the best fit. Yeah, absolutely. So my team, we know that informed consumers make wise choices for their finances. And so we're going to walk the customer through a process where we understand what their goals are short-term and long-term for their finances, uh, and then work to curate some lending options that ultimately meet those goals. That could be a conventional loan. It could be a portfolio arm product. It could be a WIDA or a USDA or a VA uh, or a litany of other products that we have access to as well. But ultimately, we need to understand the client's situation, both their financial picture and their personal goals, short-term and long-term, to then work to get them the lending options that they that best fit them. And we don't just tell them what program to go with. We give them options, two, three, four options, based on what they've told us, and help them decide which one's the best for them. I like that the informed cons- consumer makes the best decisions. So next, I want to ask you a question that uh, my wife likes to rub in my face to some degree. Her credit score is higher than mine. And so she made a comment the other day that if we made a big purchase, that we would use her credit score only. Well, that's also tied to income. And so what effect does credit score have on the rates? I mean, on the surface, it would certainly make sense that the better credit score gets the better rates because there's less risk. Absolutely. Dive into that a little bit. So a couple things. First of all, the, the it's not necessarily the credit scores associated with income. So we want to make sure that we, for your listeners, differentiate that. Typically, it's if you're going to use a person's credit score, you also need to use their income, right? Which I think is what you were getting at with that yes. statement. But that's uh-huh. one thing to make sure to keep in mind. Um, but the, the, the loan program itself is really what determines its risk sensitivity. So for example, an FHA loan has the exact same mortgage insurance for anybody who qualifies for it, whether they have a 750 credit score, which is possible. Some people on your, on your, your audience here might wonder why somebody doing 750 would need an FHA. Well, they might have had a recent bankruptcy, but they did it in a way where they didn't have late payments because they saw it coming and were preventing, essentially, the bad credit ahead of time. It's possible. We've seen it before. Um, so they need FHA because their bankruptcy is recent, even with that high score. FHA goes down to 500 per their guidelines, but most lenders have overlays at 580, us included, meaning that a borrower with a 750 credit score or a borrower with a 580 credit score with FHA will have the same mortgage insurance premium, assuming they make the same down payment regardless of their credit score. Their interest rate will fluctuate a little bit, but it's not nearly as dramatic as what conventional's interest rate would fluctuate for a similar credit score. So conventional stops at 620, but a 620 credit score borrower could have an interest rate that's a point and a half higher than the 750 credit score borrower. The other thing to keep in mind is that mortgage insurance or PMI is also unconventional, is also risk-based, meaning that they look at a lot of the same variables. In fact, they look at more variables than 
the interest rates do to get the mortgage insurance down. So you might have one borrower on a conventional loan who has a very high credit score, a low debt to income ratio. This is actually the scenario I put together just this morning. They were putting down 5% and their mortgage insurance was only 0.18% per year, which is almost nothing. And they're talking dollars, you know, pennies where a borrower maybe with a 680 credit score might be paying 1% for that same mortgage insurance. So not only do that, does that 680 credit score borrower have a higher interest rate, they'll also have higher mortgage insurance causing their payment to go up dramatically. And so we help our clients see that stuff with the tools that we have available to us to figure out which be- option is best for them, you know, because that way they can choose. Do they want to deal with the hassles of an FHA versus a conventional, uh, for example, uh, we might be able to show them what that means in dollars to help them make that decision more clearly. So if a client is thinking about purchasing a home in 2023, 2024, and I know the answer to this, so this is a little bit of a volley, uh, when should they start reaching out to a lender? Right away, especially if they're concerned about income hiccups or credit hiccups, because we can give them advice on how to manage and fix those hiccups in the time frame that they have. You know, a borrower who, who is very much aware of their income scenario, very much aware of their and their income scenario relative to the mortgage guidelines and also what their credit score is, doesn't necessarily need to reach out immediately uh, with one caveat to that. But it really depends on their timeline. So if they're looking at homes online already and they haven't reached out, that's a, that's a challenge, right? Because maybe they're looking to buy in the next two years, but they're clearly looking at homes right now online, then we should talk right now. Because the fact is, it's not a fact, but more like the likelihood is they're going to find a house they love and not be ready to jump the moment that that happens. And somebody else could come in and sweep that house out right from under them that's already prepared with that pre-approval. Well, and we tell them the same thing, right? We talked about that before we went on the podcast here is that if you're thinking about selling your home, contact us. There are things you probably do not need to do and we can save you time and money. Um uh, and if you think about buying, I mean, you're right. People, they, they, as much as they want to resist the temptation, they're looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the stat that I read not too long ago was most people will register on eight to ten different sites. Uh, and maybe not right away. They'll look at one. But we, we've got to be a part of that process early on. It, it will be as seamless as possible. And it's never a seamless process. Right. Your process, Michael, and what I've seen, and I've dealt with a lot of lenders over the years, and I tell you this all the time, is top-notch. It's one of the best I've ever seen. So kudos to you. Thank you. Uh, and your team. You guys do an amazing job. But um, you know, if you're thinking about it now, reach out to Michael. Reach out to us. We'll get you in touch with him. You know, on the bottom line is uh, there's a lot of things you can do now. If, if I'm thinking about, other than pre-approval, if I'm thinking about purchasing a home in 2023, what are things that a consumer should do now? That they should be doing right now is making sure that they have that consult with us, particularly if they're thinking about making some moves on their credit. That's something that keeps coming to my mind as you're talking here. We've had multiple clients who have great credit and they start to pay down debts or pay things off, which ultimately can hurt them because having that cash in the bank sometimes is better than, than the debt, right? Um, but talking to us now, uh, making sure that they're well poised for that purchase, whether that's two months or two years from now, and more than that, saving, right? So getting their spending habits in the right spot where they can save some money to just account for it. Because at the end of the day, most clients don't know exactly, especially first-time buyers, they don't know what all's entailed. So a lot just think there's a down payment. So they have this number in their mind that they're saving for. And oftentimes that's based on old information from 
their parents, just like my parents gave me some dated information. Like you have to have 20% down. Correct. That's a perfect example of it. And or that PMI is really expensive. I shared earlier, you know, in this in this conversation that we have a client that's getting it at 0.18%. You know, if you do that in dollars, that's not much, you know, so it's a very, very small number. Um, those kinds of things, we can get rid of the myths early on, so that then those consumers can be informed to make the right choices for their finances. Well, and let's be honest, I mean, buying a home, especially with a new you know, some new buyers, first-time home buyers, it's overwhelming to them. Right. Um, but it doesn't have to be. It, whether you've done this or not before, and, and I remember buying my first home, and well, I won't even tell you when it was. It was a long time ago. I was a cop. I just became a police officer maybe a year and a half, and somebody said within my department, they said, don't, uh, don't just rely on this. You're never going to make a lot of money as a cop. Go do something else. So I thought rental properties seemed to be the way to go. I was managing some properties. But, I mean, interest rates was seven over 7%. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Ramsey recently said, and this made, uh, and if, if you follow any realtor, it seems like on social media in the last couple of weeks, you've seen some people post with the audio that you, you marry the home and you date the rate because mm-hmm. rates are going to change. So at the end of this, we're going to get to your crystal ball time, and we'll ask you what you think rates are going to be at this time next year. Um, and we won't hold you to that. It's only memorialized in a podcast, right? But um, there's so many different things that you can do, and there's so many different myths. And, and I wish I would have learned a long time ago just to trust all the experts in my life. You know, if I'm 23 years old and I bought my first rental home, which is what happened, I should have hired an accountant. Mm-hmm. I should have hired a financial advisor. You know, I, I had a realtor at the time. Um, Louis Fonz was his name. God rest his soul. He passed away several years ago. But... You know, Louis helped me educate, and, and I trusted a professional. And, and you're in that same thing together. And what I love about our relationship is that um, you're a partner. You're mm-hmm. a true partner in this process. And any agent out there that's listing, any buyer or seller or potential client, if you didn't have that partnership in your next process, you need to. Because that's, that's what we've tried to build, partnerships. It's a big deal. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. Having a team around you. The My first home experience was was I went to a home buyer seminar, hired the lender and the realtor putting it on, and then went through the entire process having no idea what was happening. At the end of the day, I think deep down inside, all of us understand that when we're buying a house as a first-time buyer or a repeat buyer, it doesn't really matter. We understand that what we're doing is the largest transaction of our lives. And when we don't get the service from the people we've hired to do that, we don't feel good about it, right? And in my case, I took the time to create a system and, you know, eventually um, take some market share as part of that by creating a system that does treat this like the largest transaction of a person's life. So you're absolutely right. You've got to have the team members in the right place. You've got to make sure that the service is there, the education is there, and then ultimately that people are left with, you know, in my case, I'm leaving them with a huge bill. I mean, that's what I do is borrow money, lend money, and, and then they have to pay it back plus interest, right? So if I can somehow find a way to help them make the right choice for the loan to help them build more wealth and be happy writing that check or sending that electronic transfer over every month, that's a good day. It is a good day. But they're also achieving the American dream, and, and that's something I think that, that we don't talk about enough. All right, so uh, we're going to get to know you in a second here on some, uh, some parting questions. But everyone wants to know. I want to know. I ask you this uh, occasionally. I know your answer probably changes daily. We won't hold you to it, but we will. 
a year from now, end of 2023, we know home sales are probably going to be down. I talked about that in the previous podcast. We talk about it at our sales meetings that you join us at. Uh, two years ago, 6.12 million homes sold in the U.S. Looks like it's going to be about 5.13 this year, so over a full million homes less. Yep. And, and I, not to go into the podcast before, you can go back and listen to that, but I think the point there is that not that we're down a significant amount of homes, you know, because that's a lot of money. That's or a lot of homes that weren't sold. Um, that's, I mean, it's what, 16%, 17% uh-huh. less, something like that. Right. But we had, in 2020, we had our third highest home sale year ever, right? So, I mean, that's important to remember. But at the same time, when we look at interest rates, when we look at everything else and where we're at and probably 4.78 million homes sold in 2023, which is the prediction of the National Association of Realtors, where the heck are rates going to be? It's a great question. So I've been asked this question a lot lately. You know, we're we're recording this towards the end of the year, right? And so it'll be published towards the end of the year as well of 2022. And um, my answer has really not changed that much. And that is that none of us know. The data points are so vast and the information is so plentiful that all it takes is a sneeze in one direction and things are going to happen, right? I mean, if we look at the rate predictions from 2021 to 2022, so one year ago today versus where we are today, um, I think that, you know, we're going to look at it and say, wow, the predictions were actually relatively close. But when you look at the actual number from the end of 2021 to the end of 2022, but what if we look at the history of what happened throughout the summer, we went way over what anybody predicted the interest rates would be. And we're still high today. Now, the volatility has come down dramatically in the last month or so in the mortgage industry. Things seem to be settling in. These numbers today that we're seeing, uh, they look a lot like they did before the government started doing the quantitative, ease, quantitative easing back after the housing market crash. And, um, and, and I do believe that rates are going to be stable right where they are right now, where you're going to start to see that upper 5 to 7% range for the, the foreseeable future, but points will bring that rate down dramatically for anybody who's looking to be in the house long term. Um, you know, and by long term, I mean, really, if you if you can lower your interest rate by a half a percent, even if that's all you get with a one point buy down, that's still a two year break even. Right. So somebody who pays a one percent fee up front to lower their interest rate every single year for a half a percent, it's approximately a two two year break even. I mean, of course, that's simple math. Mortgages use compounding interest. So it's going to be a little bit different of a calculation that way. But at the same point that's going to be there. So what I would predict is rates will be about the same, but be ready to pay some points to have that lower interest rate for the life of your loan if, if you're buying a house that's a long-term move for you. So that was not a number. <laughs> no, but... It was not. It was not, but but I think if you've listened to the entire podcast, the resounding message that you gave was, it really depends. Your rate depends on a lot of factors. It takes a deep dive by somebody like you, you know, people think, well, if they, if they pull my credit score, my, my credit score is going to plummet. And that's just not true. So there's so many myths and so many things that I think you just need to sit down. And if you're thinking about doing something in 2023, um, and I, I've said this before, we had a lot of people during COVID in the last couple of years buy a home that they don't love. They settled. They did settle. Mm -hmm. We should talk about that in a follow-up, uh, to this podcast in a little, maybe in a month or so, people did settle. And 
you know, they had to overpay in many instances. I mean, there's so many variables to what people had to do to get into a home to bring their family up. Right. You know, and as and and then, and people here are listening, going, yeah, you know, they got a point. Um, you can get out of that home now and still make money because you've made a lot of money over the last couple of years. And as long as you price it right, you're okay. But but the bottom line is you still can find that home that you love. You know, low inventory, higher rates in general, there's still a way. Right. There's still a way to make it happen. All right, so as we wrap up, a couple of things I like to do with guests that we have on, um, because you are a human being, you're not a robot that just lends money. Um, what is most important to you in life? I think the biggest thing is time um, by far, which means I'll have the time available to spend with my family to invest in the people around me. I'm heavily involved in the youth group and within our church as well. And then also with my loan officer teams, right? The teams that I get to coach and my own personal team. So for me, time is by far the most valuable thing to me, um, which was your question, right? What was the most valuable thing, right? So time. And uh, uh, that's what I, I find, I know that that's the answer because whenever it gets wasted or I perceive time to be wasted, I'd get a little frustrated. Quickly. So I think you're also saying that you have to have a balance in life and you've achieved that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's For no sure. doubt about it. Uh, what do you love about what you do? I get to help people accomplish their financial dreams. As you mentioned earlier, the, 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 um, uh, the American dream is part of buying a house. For me, I look at it as bigger than that. That's, that's part of it. If I can help people build wealth. You know, I grew up in a, in a very unwealthy family, uh, paycheck to paycheck at best, scratching by. And um, real estate is a great way to uh, to really change that trajectory of a person's financial legacy, so to speak. And so my favorite part of my job is clients who engage in our process and let me show them how they can become wealthy through real estate. I love doing that. I, I agree. Couldn't have said it better. Last one. Uh, tell us about your hobbies and interests. What does Michael not do at, or what, is, what does he do when he's not at work? There are a lot of things that I have interests in. My biggest time-consuming ones would be working out and eating healthy. Those are two of my favorite things because every year that I get older, I have to fight this feeling to feel like I'm older. <laughs> so that's a big part of it. But um, so yeah, so a lot of a lot of outdoor activities uh, as well. So aside from the actual you know routine of lifting weights and eating well and even cardio work, I love mountain biking. I love alpine skiing. So any sort of downhill skiing, uh, as well as as rock climbing. So really anything that can give me a thrill. You know, um, fast heights, large drops. I mean, I'm basically an adrenaline junkie is what I'm trying to tell you. And I see that. If you follow Michael on social media, you can see that even, I think, was it Christmas Eve or Christmas night, you were on the slopes? The night. Yes, Christmas night. I saw that. Thank you for joining me today. Um, obviously, I appreciate your partnership, your friendship, the team that we built together, the fact that, um, you know, it's a great feeling when you can refer someone to someone else and walk away and just smile because you know that, it's going to be completely handled and taken care of. Um, give us your phone number, your website again, as we shut this down. Awesome. Today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, one of the things is this, uh, that with podcasting, you can't see the smiles that happen across the room. We need to figure out a way to get that into, into the, yes, into the video. We can, yeah. That's coming. <laughs> it's coming in time. That's right. So um, phone number, you can call or text our team line, which works just like a cell phone. It's 262 696 
888-900-9048. And then the website is closewithmichael.com. Michael, awesome job. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully we've, uh, we get some great um, referrals out of this and people that need your help. Um, happy New Year to you, and thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Take care, everybody. This episode of Wisconsin Real Estate Today has come to a close. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and let others know if you found this content useful. Until next time, make today your best day.